0: Is up, Podheads, episode 115 of the Podio Slay podcast coming at you right now. I am joined, as always, except for once, uh, Anthony and Nate are here with me. I'm Tony. How you guys doing tonight?
1: I'm doing great. I have the perfect attendance award. Nate can't say the oh, same. He's got one absence, right? Well,
2: two really. So, but yes, like one full,
1: one where I was like, you know, showed up late, stoned, like, oh, dude, I'm still here. Like. <laughs> Perfect attendance is bullshit, by the way. Like, you have reasons to not be here. And that goes for job, school, and podcast. Yeah. Yeah. True.
0: Yeah, it's it's not the easiest thing to... I mean, we've been doing this now for you know we're pushing pushing two plus years extra and we being here every week and making sure that this thing gets off without it hitches it's not easy man it's not easy life happens and <laughs> shit gets in the way and it's hard to, it's hard to like be on that but somehow we're back week after week and giving you guys that nerdery that you know and love and tonight is no exception we had an excellent guest tonight anthony who do we talk to
1: yeah, we did. We had the one and only, and I know I say that every week, but I really, really mean it this week. The one and only Jesse Leach. Uh, you know him from Killswitch Engage, frontman from Times of Grace. He does the uh, uh, additional band with with Adam D. He has like a punk band called The Weapon, which I don't know if we get into. Maybe it was before we started recording. We get into a little bit uh, when he was away from Killswitch. He had Seamless. He has a Stoke the Fire podcast. He's a, a DJ, like the guy does it all. And he was a great, a great, great guest. And I don't mean that lightly. He was, I mean, you're here, you clicked on it. You like Jesse, you probably didn't come for us. He came for Jesse and he lived up to the, uh, to, to, to the bill here. So I think, yeah, we're probably just gonna get right into this. Jesse Leach, Killswitch Engage, Stoke the Fire Pod. Let's go.
3: Can face to take.
0: what's up hotheads tony here Uh, happy you guys have clicked on the episode and want to listen to us chat with jesse leach really appreciate that but hey we've got some other interviews back there that are definitely worth your time we talked to sergio vega of quicksand we talked to brian fair of shadows fall tucker rule of thursday we had peanut from 311 we had frank turner man we've had a bunch back there. there's a lot more too so go check that out Uh, go to PodioSlave.com for all things nerdery uh, we live there. Everything's there, and you know, hit us up at Podio Slave on all the social media platforms. It's very easy to find, and we are very uh, active and happy to talk to people there. So, thanks. First of all, Jesse, thank you for coming on with us. We really appreciate talking with you tonight.
3: Thanks for having me guys. I'm glad it finally worked out.
0: Uh, yeah. So Anthony recently saw you uh, at the state theater in Portland, Maine on the atonement tour back in, when was that Anthony? March? Early Feb. Early February. Yep. So really the question we have for you is how do you feel about warming up the stage for air supply
3: who played the next night? Uh, it's, it's very <laughs> intimidating, you know, cause I know air supply has almost like a mind control with their music. You know, a lot of, uh, middle-aged women or even older women, you know, are, are so wound up in them that it makes it quite difficult. So the pressure was definitely on for us that night, but, um, you know, we, we actually contacted air supply after the show to, to see if they they actually caught some of it and they had somebody in the audience filming to make sure it was good enough. So air supply nice. approved, apparently nice. <laughs> you like that? I just bullshit in my life. That was perfect. <laughs> like, yeah, oh, That was I, great.
0: Yeah. You're going to go out and tour with them next, right? Yeah, dude, I'm so in, dude. I'm all out of love. Yes. I'm so lost without you. Perfect.
1: That's actually the second person that sung on this podcast. We had uh, Maddie from A Lost for Words from uh, Massachusetts. He sang Shy, If I Ever Fall in Love, for a couple couple verses. So you're in good company there.
3: That's a great song, too. I know that one, too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right, let's hear it. No, I will not sing that one. (laughs) Damn it.
1: So Jesse, if you're up for it, uh, we'd like to dial back the clocks a little bit. So you probably are aware at the time of recording, we are about a week's shy of the 20th anniversary of Live or Just Breathing. It dropped May 21st, 2002. So first question is, Do you are you aware of the anniversaries like now?
3: Oh, yeah. No, I, I did a full press on this. or I had an interview this morning about it, yeah people are are very um, making us very aware of how old we are yeah <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty incredible the fact that 20 years later people are still talking about that record and the fact that we can still play you know almost any song off that record and people know it which is nuts
1: so like like t- so take us back like a week before it's like 20 years from right now a week before it released you would have already obviously had it recorded had the visuals done probably a physical copy do you remember like the hype? Like, was it an internal buzz of like this thing slaps or like this thing is going to do move units? Or was there any thought about that?
3: No, we had a lot of people saying those things to us, but I didn't believe any of it, you know, coming from the hardcore scene where there's no such thing as rock stars, you know, there's no no signing autograph, at least back then, there was no signing autographs. People didn't give a shit. Like we're in a band, we get off stage, we go to the merch table, we sell the t-shirts and we watch the next band and we're fans of that band. That's who we were. So when this album was made, sure we knew we were getting on a label that had a roster of incredible bands that we all grew up listening to, whether it be, you know, Life of Agony, Sepultura, Orbituary, Machine Head. I mean, Roadrunner Records was the label and we were getting signed to it. So we knew it was a big deal, but Honestly, our kind of like talk was, oh, well, well, hopefully they won't drop us and it'll sell just enough. Maybe we can continue touring. So our expectations were pretty low, uh, which I think was good at the time. We didn't go in there thinking we're going to go become rock stars or whatever. We had no idea what was going to happen. None of us.
2: It's actually interesting, too, because it was 2002. So you got to think. For us, you know, you're coming out of the new metal scene circa in 98 to call it 2001. So 2002 is almost ushering in this new crossover sound with a lot more complexity. And you guys were really spearheading a whole new movement in that sound dynamic. And uh, I think Killswitch Engage was, was one of those bands that really ushered in, okay, this is the new phase of where metal's going. So...
3: Yeah, I think that, I think on the surface, that's what it became, but, you know, we were standing on the shoulders of giants, you know, I could list many bands in the New England area alone that were sort of getting into that style, like the, the blending of the melodic and the, you know, hardcore kids that started listening to like post-hardcore that incorporated metal riffs. I mean, I can remember seeing Slayer and Iron Maiden shirts coming into the hardcore scene where, we're even just five years prior to you might get into a fight over that. Someone might like call you a hessian and try to fight you at a at a hardcore show, or vice versa. Yeah. you know, you're a short haired kid going in with like an Earth Crisis shirt to a metal show. People are like, what is this dude here for? So there was a lot of like weird things going on. But when that started to mesh together, I think a lot of us from the New England area were looking over at Europe, going, Wow, these guys are onto something here. Soil Work, In Flames, at the gates. Um, and for me, the big one was Edge of Sanity, a band I don't think it's half, not even, like, way less credit than they deserve. Uh, Dan Swano is the producer of that, who actually helped uh, get Opeth started. Opeth would be another band. Nice. Where you had these bands doing the melodic and the death metal growls already. So for us, it was mixing our hardcore roots, our, like, sort of, like, post-hardcore indie pre-emo roots, you know, the Discord records, stuff like Fugazi, Jawbox, Sunny Day Real Estate, At The Drive-In, all those bands were, we were fans of those bands as well, mixed in with Metallica, Riffing, Meshuggah were a huge influence on those guys, Carcass. So just like all this influences mashed up into our sound. But I honestly think part of it was we were at the right place at the right time to sort of get that boost of being sort of looked at as the forefathers of this new genre that we didn't even call ourselves metalcore. That wasn't even the term. We we're like, what is this? Right. Yeah. And that was, that was coined to sort of describe what was happening. But, um, I can point back to, you know, I mentioned earth crisis. I mentioned, I can mention integrity was another band that was doing that blend of metal and hardcore before us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I humbly bow to all those people who paved the path, you know, and I said Life of Agony, um, another one with melodic vocals, uh, Only Living Witness. So there's a ton of people that I have to give credit to to inspire us to do what we did.
1: Yeah, that Cleveland sound, that Syracuse sound, Yep, yeah. Totally.
0: So it's 20 now, and we I think the three of us all saw you on the 10-year anniversary tour, too, in Portland, Maine. Yep. And thanks for coming to Portland. We appreciate that.
3: Portland's great. Man.
0: Is it something that, like some some people don't look back on the old stuff reverentially some are like oh man that was that was me 20 years ago it's not me today how do you feel about it looking back on it now 20 years later is it something that you you know you're happy about you love you'll spin here and there or or is it something like nah i'm new now
3: i don't i don't listen to it i I tend not to listen to any of my stuff i'd say to be honest the only thing i've been re-listening to is is the new times of grace record because to me it's just it still holds a weird sentimental life to it. We've never toured on it. It's never been blasted into my ears over and over again to rehearse. So that record, Songs of Lost and Separation, I can still kind of put on and go, oh, this is nice. Wow, cool record. Where everything else, I've listened to it so much to rehearse for tour. I've played some of those songs so much that I I don't ever just go casually put on kill so you can go check me out. I don't want to do that. Yeah. But (laughs) that being said, I think that allowed just breathing still holds importance it still holds weight it's still good songs and that's the one thing i will stand by like we started to write songs our first record our self-titled was stripped down metal with a hardcore influence with some a touch of death metal but it was more about just like riffs and like bludgeoning people with this this sound that we were kind of wanting to put out there where a lavish's breathing was more about songwriting we consciously wanted to make songs and i'm looking at bands like faith no more which was, all of us can agree in, in kill that faith no more was like one of those bands you would aspire to want to be or even pantera they they were heavy but they had hooks they had stuff you wanted to sing along to so we were kind of looking at bands like that going all right we want to be heavy we want to do our thing but we want to write good songs so that was a conscious effort so i think those songs still some of them still hold up
1: i think they definitely do i mean from from a fan's perspective from self-titled to live just breathing i think the whole the whole presentation's a level up i think musically obviously new label adam d coming into his own on the production side you vocally it's a it's a difference and i'm not i mean self-titled's phenomenal it's more of just that alive or just breathing i think is a true level up and i think it's a it's a blueprint that for better or for worse was copied and diluted so many times. And Jesse, you guys are to blame for that. No, you guys spearheaded <laughs> that. I mean, you guys were, were the blueprint and I, I would put, I would put a live of just breathing in the Mount Rushmore of we'll call it metal core. And, in and, and a lot of your company is ironically, Massachusetts bands. I'd put Jane Doe in there. I'd put art of balance in there, uh, and a few others, but like, do you feel that way that, okay, I can kind of look at the landscape and I can hear a little of what we did
3: do you feel that yeah i definitely do and i think even more so back in the mid 2000s it was like mind-boggling the amount of bands that would do the the gruff verse and then you know the slightly yelling bridge and then the big melodic chorus it got to the point where it was almost like a joke like you just could sort of like well oh, here comes the singing part Here comes the cocky part where he's like, I'm convicted about what I'm saying. It's going to get crazy. (laughs) But, you know, they say that uh, imitation is the highest form of flattery. So I think for me, especially having stepped away from the band and hearing it and seeing it and having no part of it, I felt sort of validated as an artist, even though technically I had sort of quote unquote failed in my mind because I, I walked away, I quit. I couldn't handle it, you know, which is a whole other bag of worms. But, um, I felt validated because there were a lot of bands that were sounding like that, you know, and mm-hmm. then I watched kill switch just reached a whole other level of like, Whoa, with of heartache, you know, that was like, talk about leveling up, I, I would argue that they were one of the biggest metal bands in the world for a small amount of time mm-hmm. with Howard there. And again. I felt like I was still kind of a part of it, you know, because I helped. Mm
1: -hmm. I love that you acknowledge that not only the derivative bands, like first and foremost, that you acknowledge it and are actually willing to say it. Because I think a lot of people be like, yeah, no, you know, uh, they kind of sound like (laughs) us, but like, no, I mean, yeah, without this record, a lot of stuff wouldn't exist. And then the fact that you're, you know, kind of witnessing the band, you know, get into a whole new stratosphere in, in, saying hey i was part of that foundation i think is it says a lot about you
3: yeah i think that's that's only i've only come into that in my older years you know i think at the time i definitely had admittedly some disappointment in myself and then i wouldn't say envy but definitely kind of kicking myself a little bit like shit man you know because i was in a band called seamless at the time and i actually started touring again and we're playing in front of like nobody you know, for a long time, which I kind of needed to do to find myself. But now that I'm older and and wiser, and I think a lot more humble, I have to acknowledge that I think it'd be ridiculous for me not to Mm -hmm. and arrogant, you know, and I can't stand arrogance. That's one of my big pet peeves. So yeah, hats off to everyone who paved the way and hats off to Howard for taking Killswitch to a, a whole other stratosphere. And, you know, then I was able to like, for better, for worse, for some people, walk back in and, and stand on his shoulders as well. All of those guys, they put in so much groundwork where, you know, nine years later, I come back and I'm like, mind bogglingly blown away by how many people were playing in front of, And I'll never forget returning to the band and standing on stage in Europe and being like, whoa, <laughs> yeah. okay, yeah. I guess we're doing this. This is nuts. So... Yeah, I have to acknowledge people who put in hard work.
2: That's a really good point, actually, is returning to the band and the band standing on their own. Obviously, Howard Jones coming into the picture, too. But the fact that it's an equal split on talent in the band is like you coming in with a rhythm section that's immensely talented that you were able to come back into the picture and almost get a, a second opinion or second perspective. Like, oh, I'm, I was working with, with one of the tightest bands that were to ever come out well, of the I- scene.
3: Yeah. I, I still feel that way about those guys. Yeah. the, the yeah, Sometimes just the, even hearing them jam, you know, like randomly on a guitar. Like one of my favorite things ever is when Joel picks up a guitar backstage or just decides he wants to jam on something and he starts playing the blues or whatever. It, The dude is like such an underrated, amazing musician. Uh, i'm blown away constantly by his skills i mean adam obviously everyone knows and we all talk about how much of a genius adam is that's kind of like yes he is but joel man that guy he's on a whole other level and not even just with metal with with blues with folk he can play like you know organ and banjo like the dude is he's so talented they all are they all are in their own right but you know yeah joel just stands out to me lately just because i'm blown away by his diversity
1: so when you were fast forwarding we'll, we'll come back to this in a sec but when you came back were you like holy shit, these guys got even better than
3: they were a decade ago i mean i knew they were good because i had you know as much as i wasn't truly paying attention to metalcore and metal when i was away from it purposely and then just that's really not what i listened to honestly i i knew they were big i knew they were tight i had and i actually had to like really study their music before i rejoined So i knew that the the listening to some of the tracks on daylight dies you know like i'm like wow amazing stuff like really great songwriting and riffs and it was getting more complex but still palatable for the general population to hear it and nod their head and like you know you weren't getting lost in the time signatures like you do with some of those metal bands but they're still writing smart songs so i was aware of it and for me it was a bit intimidating because and I knew I had to really like try to level up. And I, I, in retrospect, I think it was a good couple of years of me trying to trying to like catch up. And mm-hmm. I felt very inferior and insecure for, for a lot of years there out in the road, just trying to find my own style, my own voice. And like, who am I to this band? Especially trying to fill in shoes of like someone like Howard Jones, who, who is one of the best voices in metal, period. Like the guy is just a beast. It's 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 annoying at times, but also I'm very happy. <laughs> but I'm very happy for my friend. Yeah, like taking him out on tour and watching him sing every night. And the couple nights where he was like, I could hear he was kind of rough. I was like, Ah, oh, you are human. You do.
0: Ah.
1: ran out of Vaseline. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> no, that I was gonna ask. Like that must have felt it must have felt difficult like you're jumping back into a band that obviously was talented when you were in it and was talented when you left for you know the 9 years and was tight i mean when we saw you guys in 20 2011 for 10 years or 2012 for 10 years it was like holy shit this is the tightest band i've ever seen live like oh my god wow. echo that yeah oh yeah. my god
3: yeah i would say for me i think the one thing i did bring to the the game was uh, I'm a bit more of a hardcore singer, so I kind of brought a little bit more of the hardcore back with Disarm the Descent. I think it's kind of a more of a vicious-sounding record, especially if you look back at the self-title where I think they were kind of going into rock metal, you know, territory, which was good. But, you know, I think when I rejoined, they were all ready to, like, fire on all cylinders. So what I did lack in sort of the big melodic vocals, I, I kind of brought in some of the hardcore feel which i felt like was my style at the time
1: actually i got a question on that so track three on all breathing is fixation on the darkness when you come in vocally it's that you that you know yeah. i obviously know what i'm talking about that's been copied so many times and i was thinking back to that time like this was pre hate breed perseverance where jamie was really bringing that so where did you come up with that like what was that your own thing or were you, do you Kind of grab that from another band or another vocalist. Uh,
3: death metal in general, I, I would say, Entombed has a lot of great weird vocal noises. A band called Gorefest does it. Yeah, a lot of the European metal that I still, uh, I'm an old school death metal head. You hear guys doing that. But Jamie had, yeah. Jamie was, back then, it, Jamie's noise was, Nyeh! Nyeh! yeah, <laughs> That was kind of the, the early hate breed. Just the 14. That's right. It was it, that. Hate yep. breed. It was the yeah.
1: The Satisfaction Era, Jamie, was very much that. And I yeah. know, like, Wolverine Blues for Entombed, I can see Absolutely. where that comes in.
3: Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm a huge old-school death metal fan, and Entombed are one of the best to do it, I think, ever. So around this time,
0: 20 years ago, was there a band or bands that you guys kind of pulled from to, like well, that's how that's supposed to be done. Maybe we'll, you know, you you gotta get your chops seeing somebody live or picking something up, whether it be in the studio or live. there's a band or two that you could kind of point to, like, yep, we learned a little bit from those guys seeing them do their thing.
3: So many. I think the foundations of who we are came from Sick of It All, Chromags, Bad Brains, Sam Black Church, um, and Sam Black Church. I think we're underrated for what they were doing because they were a completely unique hardcore metal band and without Sam Black Church, um, and Adam D will say this too, we wouldn't have the riffage in My Last Serenade, sort of that chugging and then pause, that early 90s sort of like mosh riffs. Those bands were huge on who we all were pre-Killswitch and carried over into Kill Killswitch. But the European metal, I would say we would all agree at the gates. Slaughter of the Soul, we all, and I'm still in awe of that record. I think it's probably one of the most perfect sounding, vicious, amazing, with a punk attitude. And the production's incredible. I would say between At the Gates and Carcass, they were probably the biggest on all, of, All of us could agree that those bands were like huge to help push us. Um, and then as far as like seeing a band and like seeing, oh, wow, that's how they do it. I would say any band we toured with, you know, uh, starting with soil work, that first, first tour, watching those guys do what they do. And to this day, like Speed, what a vocalist, what a performer. So yeah, a lot of the, In Flames would be another one. We're, we're all like, In Flames definitely wrote the blueprint for how a metal band should do it with the melody, with the riffs, with the live stage presence. And those guys have gone through such different phases and in my mind are still putting out good music and it's still a great band, regardless of the the member changes or whatever, I'll always be an Inflames fan.
1: Just saw him this past week on that uh-huh. uh, Megadeth tour. Yeah. Killer.
3: Love it. I love those guys. All of them, past and present.
2: Actually, that's a great question, Tone, because it just reminded me, you know, as you came back to the band, did you basically just kind of revert back to that stuff to to get back into that state of mind? Like, this is where I knew that this I need to at least get to this par?
3: Yes and no. I kind of approached it with... I want to progress. So I didn't really look back. I was kind of looking forward and paying attention to what music was doing at the time in in 2012 and then deciding whether or not I was inspired by it or if I would just completely ignore it because it was horrible. But I also think at that point, I kind of had my identity down like who I wanted to be and how I wanted to present myself. And a lot of it is natural. You know, I, I certain stage movements that I just do from muscle memory from doing it for so long, but, um, I was very inspired by just the guys in Killswitch. Honestly, like it sounds cheesy to say, but truly listening to the demos for Disarm and the Descent is kind of what helped me craft what I wanted to do on stage, the kind of like movements and stances and things like that, that, you know, I don't plan to do those things, but they sort of develop as I'm writing a record. I can almost see it in a color scheme and almost concede in like what kind of outfits I want to wear. It sounds super funny, but it's a whole package. And a lot of it is inspired by what those guys are just playing on the record.
1: Yeah, Alive or Just Breathing. I think it's it's one of those records for us that we would put in that like Thursday full collapse, At the Gates, Slaughter the Slaughter the Soul, like those albums that launched a thousand ships that There's a lot of stuff that came out after it, but it just doesn't touch it. And Mm -hmm. that's becomes the blueprint. So we wanted to pay that album some respect. And I I love that you still play, like when I saw you a few months ago, you you still played my last serenade, which probably could have got the biggest crowd sing along, which has that massive chorus. So it lends itself to that, but it just shows you that people love that fucking record, man.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I really, excuse me. I really enjoy playing, um, rise inside or just barely breathing those are probably my two favorites to play live when we do pull them out because they just feel epic they feel timeless in a way because the message in both of those songs to me still carries a lot of weight um you know rise inside being about unity and 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 caring about your fellow human and and just barely breathing sort of being that um you know contemplating existence and wanting more out of life than what you're getting which i think everybody can relate to that stuff. I can relate to that to this day. And I, I would have to say that a lot of that kind of came from just the synergy between us as a band. And I was writing very much from a, a place where I knew my voice would be heard on a much bigger platform. So I was kind of drawing from people like Joe Strummer from The Clash and Bob Marley, with their messages that I rang true with me and where I was in my life. And I wanted to make important songs like that too. So I really took my time with lyrics on songs like that to, to make sure that they were hopefully timeless messages that can continue to be passed on. And when you sing it in a big room of people, there's a vibe there. Mm-hmm. You're saying something powerful that's positive and everybody's doing it. Yep there's, there's a real synergy and power in that. And I love, love, love that about music where you can get like 2000 people singing this beautiful thing about equality and, you know, preserving human life and compassion. And you've got a bunch of people connected in a whole other way Mm -hmm. that, you know, singing a song about kicking somebody's ass or like, you know, upset (laughs) at your girlfriend or whatever just doesn't do, you know? Right.
0: No, totally. I mean, that's, (laughs) <laughs> You're preaching to the choir there. We love that shit. That's why we love doing
3: this. That's why we love going to shows. Yeah, because it's a, it's a lifestyle, really. It's not, it's not just music at that point. It's a culture. It's, it's something you can stand behind and identify with that is positive. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's what music has always been about, whether it be hardcore music, hip-hop music, you know, reggae music, the upliftment of people. Um, the upliftment of yourself. like That's still who I am to this day. It's a culture. It's something I learned from my peers and from my upbringing that stays with me to this day.
2: Jesse, you said something just now, which was going to kind of lead into my next question, which is the uh, clinic or establishment or just fan club that we are going to shows, seeing bands like you guys play. That took a big you know, pause during the height of the pandemic. And obviously we're still going through the pandemic now, but... Uh, you guys dropped Atonement in August 2019 before the pandemic really kicked off, but you weren't able to really tour. I mean, you played Europe. Uh, we're obviously in the Northeast and California, so we weren't there, but the U.S. tour was canceled. So with that said, kind of that unity and kind of spreading that, you know, positive you know message in a, in a live format and being in a, in a place to be able to, to put that music out there. You know, what was that like just to have to shut everything down and, and say, man, like that's being taken away from us?
3: Uh, I would say initially there was some relief, to be honest, after you know, nine, 10 years straight of touring and going back to that lifestyle, which is an incredible, magical thing to do. But I was on burnout just prior to leaving for that tour. I remember saying to my my girlfriend at the time, who's now my fiance, I'm burnt out with tears in my eyes like I just want to break I want to break I'm tired of talking to people I'm tired of performing I'm like tired I'm exhausted and I think one of the things I said to her too was uh I just want to watch the seasons change like I miss just seeing like the leaves change and fall off or like spring and fast forward to three months into the pandemic I was like oh shit this is not temporary, (laughs) this is not going away. Yeah, And that's kind of when my wheels started turning. And I started thinking in survival mode, like, okay, how long is this gonna last? Yep. And then I started to lose a little bit of myself because I'm so wrapped up in that energy that I get from the audience, the energy you get from traveling and from being in a new place and the buzz of live performance, all that was gone. And I slipped into a bit of a dark place for a little while there. I think anybody did. I mean, it was hard because you didn't, there was no certainty. You were sort of on survival mode and, you know, my my savings was getting drained and I had just never been in that situation. But I'm thankful to say I found a Zen-like moment in all of that where I forced myself to be grateful and practiced it daily, I'd wake up in the morning and the first thing out of my mouth would be like, thank you, God, for the breath of life. And I would list and I did this meticulously, every single morning list what I was grateful for. And in my heart of hearts, I said to myself, if I never get to do live shows again, if my career is over, wow, what an amazing run it's been. Hmm. So now what? How, How do I approach the day? And how do I not dwell in this misery? So I started to create little medial tasks for myself around the house. I started to get creative with teaching myself how to play piano again, like just started Uh taking on things that were positive that would keep my brain going. But I didn't realize how crucial playing in front of people it was until we got back to it. Mm -hmm. And when we started getting back to it with, with Slipknot on that first tour back those first few days, I was like, wow. (laughs) Hell yeah. That's the greatest high in the world. It really is next to like, you know, exercising, which I think is a great high too, but there's nothing like it. When you look out and you see people singing back at you with that look on their face, the desperation, the passion, I'll never, ever get tired of that. And it's all because of the audience. If the Mm -hmm. audience is there with you, they will take you to a whole other level. doesn't matter what the band is doing. If the audience is there for you and they have your back, that's untouchable, and that's something that I cherish and will always cherish. But there was definitely a moment where I had, had to sort of meditate that out of my head to survive and to carry on and, and try to stay positive during the pandemic.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're right, we all we all felt that, right It was whatever your day to day was completely changed. everybody got uprooted or, or sent home or stuck in a room and, and it's it was hard not to be uh, you know uncomfortable and down and worried about what's going to happen next. I mean, I remember, I know my job is around a lot of people typically too. And there was a day in the fall that year in 2020 that I was like, man, I should be, this is where I should be today. And I'm not, and I'm bummed right now. And I, like four months later, five months later, it hit me. I need that. I want that back. I hope we get back there. And fortunately we have, but like going to that first show this fall for me, I was like, I was emotional i was like i'm sitting in a room with people and they're playing music that i love and everybody is excited about this feeling so i know on our side of it we we love to have that stuff back and are happy that it it feels that way for you too you know
3: funny uh you mentioned the first time going to a show or my first show wasn't tour um i live up here in uh, woodstock new york which is like as you would expect a lot of hippie stuff uh, and there's a a venue here that has like a beer garden, and during the pandemic, they had the tables far enough away where people were allowed to sort of be in the same area outside. And um, I used to love going to that place just because you could be around people but still far enough away from them. And I remember um, I was getting ready to go grocery shopping, which is that place is right near where I go grocery shopping, and I had all my mask on, my gear ready to get in, you know, get into the trenches in the grocery store, and I hear ska music. I hear a ska band playing and I'm like, a live band? Holy shit, it's the first time I heard live music echoing through the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And I took all my shit off. You know, I kept my mask with me because you had to. And I ran over to this beer garden. And sure enough, this band called The Slackers that I love was playing. And there are people socially distanced in their little areas dancing. And I'm like, oh my God. And this is like, I don't know, three in the afternoon. So I, I ran in there and I, I, I got a drink and I, I found my little picnic table and started kind of skanking along with everybody looking around. <laughs> and there's just tears. I got tears flowing down. That's my amazing. Face. And I'm like, and it's ska music, so of course you're gonna get like super fucking happy. Uh, and I'll never forget that moment as long as I live, uh, just being around live music and watching people dance And celebrate and have fun. It was like mind blowing. Like I was calling my family. I was calling my girls. Like ska music, dude. (laughs) Listen. And I'm taking videos. And it's me dancing. And I was like, Yeah, that was a real moment, dude. I'll never forget that. Live music is is life. It is, man.
0: It is.
1: So what about what about vocally? So we've. I mean, we love all types of music on this podcast. We had the guitarist of the Wonder Years, kind of a pop punk band. Uh, Casey Cavalier, he was saying that his vocalist, Dan, would get on the Peloton and sing. So he'd get a workout and sing at the same time to keep his voice sharp. We had Brian Fair, obviously, you know, from Shadows Fall, you know. I think he was doing, like, pilometrics in his laundry room or something. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. he was was doing squats
0: and singing at the same time.
1: (laughs) So how do you, like, I know you talked about the mindfulness, but what about, like, physically and vocally to stay sharp? Are you... Like, I have visions of you singing My Last Serenade on the piano while you're learning it.
3: No. uh, And during the pandemic, I didn't sing at all. Uh, For for most of it, I just stopped for various reasons. Number one, just to rest the voice. And number two, just because I I didn't have it in me. I didn't care. I wanted to do other things. So I was programming electronic music, learning piano. That was kind of fulfilling my need to sing. And then we got the opportunity to, like, do the whole, like, play a song online in your separate locations and it was for times of grace because we had to promote the record we we're going to put out and i'll never forget get getting back on that sort of like vocal thing and starting to do it because you have to start slow when you take a big break like that you need to do like a warm-up in like 15 minutes stop the next day a warm-up 25 minutes to a half hour stop build your way up and then take a break and it's a whole thing. It takes like a couple of weeks to get warm again. Wow! So once I started doing that, I was like, oh, I'm like, not bad at this. Like, I'm pretty good <laughs> at this. This is, this, is, this is who I am. Holy shit. And uh, I also think having that big break really helped my voice a lot because I'm able to use it in a much different way than I ever did. Even prior to, you know, after my, my vocal surgery that I had in 2018, there was still a few years of like me sort of navigating my new voice. But I think post-pandemic, it's the best I've ever sounded live. Um, And it's a lot to do with just proper technique and about a year of solid rest. Wow. Wow. But yeah, so when I'm in touring mode and I'm like, I come home for a few weeks and I'm going back out, I'll take three or four days off. And then I begin the whole process again. And it's a lot of it is just me blasting a track through my house and grabbing a microphone and plugging into a little amplifier and pacing back and forth in my living room, pretending that my front window is the audience and literally going for it in my living room while my girlfriend's doing stuff around the house. My cats are running around staring at me like, what is this? <laughs> doing? Can you uh, live stream that? You know, <laughs> I, or I'll go for a long ride in my uh, car or my truck. Now I have a truck and uh, blast it and sing along. So you'll People will pull up at a stoplight next to me and I'm like, I'm going for it.
0: Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I, I was hoping you'd tell us you were on a trampoline and you were doing no, <laughs> do, like do
3: diamond push ups. You know. uh, I know I've seen Bruce Dickinson do it on a um elliptical uh, not elliptical, uh, a bike. He'll sing in the bike. I don't do that stuff. I maybe I should. If Bruce Dickinson does it, maybe I should start doing it. <laughs> Yeah.
2: While flying a plane
3: at the same or time. Yeah, or fencing, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and singing for three hours straight when you're in your sixties, no problem. That's wild. Yeah.
1: The, I mean, we're, we're not singers. I mean, we're just average Joe Schmoes, but like I've done karaoke one, one song I'm done, so yeah. I can't imagine being a vocalist and you know, obviously you're trained and you've done it your whole life, but man, like when we saw you in February, that was 18 songs and you, you sounded as good as you've ever sounded.
3: Thank you. Uh, technique, 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 uh, nice. I hats off to Melissa cross. Uh, she saved my career. I had beaten myself up to the point where, you know, when the doctor went and looked at it, he's like, I got to tell you, I haven't really seen a vocal cord like this in my life. I can't guarantee you anything. You might come out of this surgery and you might not be able to do this ever again. Wow. Uh, But thankfully, um, through the amazing people that work for me and helped me, I was able to get the surgeon who did Adele, the vocalist Adele's surgery. So he's like one of the top guys in, in like the country the world really to do this type of surgery he killed it you know i i had 2 months of silence prior to the surgery tr- them trying to figure out what was going on with me and then my recovery time was like 4 weeks so i got the surgery within 4 weeks i was on stage in front of 11,000 people in wow. Tallinn Estonia opening for iron maiden um oh. <laughs> And probably singing better than I ever have in my career because of that, Um, doing stuff like vibrato, which I've never been able to do. But I was still using a technique that they call false chord, which is a full on screen where you're using much more of your muscles in your body to make Mm -hmm. the noise. And since that time, I've lost my voice a few times due to overuse. So I've switched over to a fry. So now when you come see the band live, I'm doing a fry technique, which is a complete, I switched techniques after 20 years. And in the past the past two tours we did with Slipknot, and then when you guys saw us, I was using a completely different technique, which you can't really tell. Nope, you can't. It's, it's, It's a different technique, but that saved my ass. And because of that technique, my vocal folds aren't swollen, so I'm actually in tune now more than oh, yeah. I used to be. It was <laughs> really hard for me to stay in tune live because I'm beating the shit out of my voice every night. So yeah, game changer for sure. And that's all Melissa Cross's Zenim screaming technique. She is incredible and she saved my ass.
2: Damn. This is crazy. I mean, I'm just like, my my gears are spinning because you think about like, you know, it's only 20, 2022. Like there's been opera since the beginning of time. Like they sang their hearts out and obviously made it through night after night. So it's like, it can be done. But there's also it's 2022, so there's voice track, there's you know auto recording. You can make all these tricks and do the thing, but in metal, like we we know when it's being faked. So you actually you can't take those shortcuts, even if you want to. Do you though? Do
3: you? Because I'll tell you, there are bands (laughs) that are tricking you. Oh, they're there. I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are. (laughs) I say nothing. Metal karaoke is what you're saying? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, and the and one of the analogies that I got. Melissa Cross was do you ever hear a baby like lose its voice no babies scream and cry all day all night that's a good point they're completely fine they scream in pitch they're incredible vocalists (laughs) we are born with the ability to do it we just unlearn it as our anxiety and our thoughts and our brain come into play and we think before we speak we're babies their bellies distended like a little buddha and they're just "Ah!" Just doing it. They're going for it. They're not thinking about anything. So she calls it the Zen of screaming because essentially you have to be in a very calm space to do what we do without damaging yourself. So it can be done. You just have to calm down and train and like relearn how to scream like a baby pretty much. That's that's awesome. Hmm. It's like the
2: monk on the Rage Against the Machine cover. Like he's not screaming. He's in Zen mode on fire. Like.
3: (laughs) Which I'm actually glad you brought that up because... Um, breathing techniques have become a huge part of my routine as well, meditation. And there's a guy named Wim Hof, who's fairly popular now about his breathing techniques and he endures cold temperatures. He's adapted what the, the Buddhist monks do with their breathing and meditation. And he's actually been able to like raise the body temperature, lower the body temperature, fight off diseases. They inject this guy with like stuff, I don't remember what it was, but he meditated it out of his body. Like the brain and what monks have been doing, the Shaolin monks have been doing for thousands of years. We have access to that too. It's just training. You have to care enough to like really go inside your mind. And so that's been huge too. I've meditated almost daily when I'm on tour, I meditate constantly and have learned breathing techniques to help me sing better and sing and, and speak better and exercise better and it's helped with my anxiety as well. So that's another part I I have to talk about is breathing and meditation is huge to being a vocalist as well. And I think everyone should be doing it anyway because it can replace some of those drugs we're all on for our problems. We -hmm. have the power in our minds to access amazing shit. And Buddhist monks have known that for thousands of years. That's why that guy can set himself on fire and just sit there. Mm -hmm unaffected shutting things off it can be done they do it Unbelievable.
0: Yeah, that was a tangent that was an old school tangent right there i, I love, love it
3: though yeah. yeah get me started man i uh, we're, we're we're just up, getting going <laughs>
1: all right so you you finally get back on the road like two two and a half years after an album drops which under any normal circumstances just doesn't wouldn't happen right so things could go two ways right you're like well shit, that feels like old material or you're super excited to finally play that stuff live. So were you just, where were you in that camp? So the atonement tour, when we saw you, were you just happy to be out there or even the Slipknot uh, fest Roadshow? Were you, or you were like, oh, well, I'm not in that same headspace when I wrote these songs two years ago.
3: They felt more relevant to me than right on. they did when I wrote, them. Um, especially with everything we've been through. I can go back and, I mean, I can pick any one of those songs and be like, this is more accurate than it was when I wrote it. Yeah, I love that record. I think it really, to me, and I hate to play favorites, but Atonement to me is probably one of my favorite Switch records, next to probably Disarm the Descent. And then I would say Alive with Just Breathing after that, honestly. I, and I know it's kind of typical for people to go, I like my newest record. Of I, course. Truly do, I truly do though. And I think it, it really marks a time in, in Killswitch's career, and hopefully people will look back and go, wow, that was kind of a different record. And I think a lot of that has to do with the the lyrics and the, the mindset I was in when I was writing those songs. So I was excited, loved it, and, and felt like it was important. What I was saying had stuff that matters, especially a song like I Am Broken Too, that just, I feel like so many people can relate to that. So many people have this tattoo on them. I get messages to this day on a regular basis about that song. So to me, it's like, I'm, I'm doing something for somebody. And that mm-hmm. means the world to me.
1: I mean, even just the song titles, Us Against the World, Know Your Enemy. I mean, you could, those would resonate with people pretty heavily in 2022.
3: Absolutely. Yep. Crazy.
1: You're like, yep, I wrote those. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah, know. I know.
0: I know. Yeah. I know. I, you knew the pandemic was coming, man. Damn you! <laughs>
3: yeah, you knew. If, if you, it's so weird you say that because if you really read some of those lyrics, it did feel like I it kind fit. of agreed.
1: I did kind of the spirit of that. Not, yeah. but,
3: but I think that's the beauty of of like when you're, I am going to skirt the line of of possibly sounding like a dick here, but pretension. But when you're a real artist and you open yourself up, I I clearly don't think it's just me there's a collective consciousness, there's an energy, there's something that I'm tapping into that I truly believe is in all of us. And I think some artists are able to just catch catch that and, and be able to put it out as art. And I think I've done that a few times, but I say that humbly, meaning that I truly believe it has something to do with all of us and our collective consciousness. And I'm honored that people feel that way about the music that we've done and the the connectivity we have through music.
0: And the great thing about stuff, like you put a record out in 2019 and obviously not knowing what the world's going to do eight months later, but it can be kind of interpreted whatever way the listener wants to interpret it, right? You're you're leaving some of that open for them to to take it their own way. And that's got to be kind of fulfilling too.
3: That's intentional too. I'm a poet first and foremost, I love poetry. I love words. And I try to really try to keep it open-ended where I know I'm writing about a specific thing or maybe two specific things, but I'm my hope is when you hear the song and you read the lyrics, you kind of take on your own meaning for it. You know, the, the idea of you write something or create something. And once it's out there for public consumption, it's no longer mine, it's ours, it's yours. So for me, like explaining songs, which they always like, when you're promoting a record it's i was like oh go track by track and talk about each song and I was like ah oh. i mean cool but i i love when people just have their own idea like my last serenade case in point when that song came out and the video came out people were like oh it's a it's a breakup song it's this it's that and i denied it till i was blue in the face i was like it's no it's about and it was <laughs> but people take on their own meaning and it means so much to them and i don't want to like over explain something and sort of rob them of that but um I think it, if you write with a broad enough brush stroke, hopefully it stands the test of time and it means different things to different people. That's a great
2: point. There's even a website, right? Songmeanings.com, And like you look at like the thread of like what it means to different individuals. And it's like, you know, Lady A and Guy B is like the stories are polar opposite, but it's cool that it transcends to them in a different light completely. And it gives new birth to that song. You're like, oh, that's the way they're living their movie this guy's living the movie this way. I'm living the movie somewhere in the middle. It yeah. just shows that if you make it broad, like you said, but also touching the nerves of the collective humanity, you're, you're doing, you're doing something right, which is really cool. And obviously your rhythm section helps you in that regard too.
3: Oh yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> but that's something I, I truly work on. It's not something I'm just saying comes out of me. Like I really try and very painstakingly. So losing sleep over a, a line in a song that I just want to be perfect. And it's, it, I drive myself crazy because I care that much. Because to me, it's not just music. It's something else. There's a ritual to it.
1: Just go full Deftones and make it the broadest stroke you could
3: <laughs> possibly go. Yeah. I know, but that works for them, though, right? It does. It, it does. The yeah. conviction yeah. and the sound of his voice, it doesn't even matter what he's saying. And I'm, I'm like, oh, it's so good. What's it about? I have no idea. but no. Yeah. It makes Never. you feel a certain way. Like, there's a yeah there's like a a seductiveness to some of that Deftones tone stuff where like i don't, I don't know what's going on, but I love it <laughs> yep
1: all right so one of the um one of the things that like set the internet on fire when you guys toured was obviously with Howard and light the Torch and you bring him on stage and you actually brought him back for um the song signal Fire track two in the album so how was that? to share that on stage because it doesn't happen so it suggests to me that there's a good relationship there and there's a mutual respect and it was like a celebration in my eyes i loved it
3: yeah that was from the jump when i initially had him come out on stage during the iron maiden tour in 2018 we played two nights at the o2 arena in london which is a huge venue and he was in town doing press for light the torch so the moment I found that out and saw him and he came in to say hi, cause we're all on good terms at that point. I was like, dude, you should come out and do end a heartache tonight. And he's like, you know, Oh, okay. <laughs> like, just like what? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it'd be really cool. I think just like a nod to the fans, like, Hey, Howard's here. And he's in the building. Let's bring it on stage. And a light bulb sort of went off in my head, which led me to writing the signal fire with him in mind. <laughs> And then fast forward to what you're talking about. To me, it was very intentional. It was like, all right, we're going to do this. We're taking Light the Torch out on tour. This is how we should do it. What do you guys think? And everyone in the band was like, I mean, if you're cool doing that. I was like, dude, I feel like it just needs to happen. It needs to happen to show the fans that there's no bad blood. And I just think to respect the legacy of what he has done to help project this band into the stratosphere and to respect his work and the fact that i'm singing his material for like nine years you know like i there was a real right. interesting connection with him without even really knowing him that well up until a few years ago that uh it felt necessary and i really wanted to signify the the unity that is within the kill switch camp because we are a big weird dysfunctional family And I'm proud of Howard for getting his life together and getting back out there and creating great music. I love Light the Torch. I'm a fan of what they do. I think he's great. Those guys are a great live band. So it was kind of a no brainer. And for me to be able to like walk off stage and hand him the microphone and go, you're on. And like, look at the audience go, please welcome Howard Jones and the place goes nuts. There was such a sense of like a greater sense of pride in us as brothers and to stand there side stage and watch those guys do it with Howard again and to see the joy that came into his eyes and his performance and it's something I'll never forget and I definitely want to do it again we've talked about potentially doing that in Europe and the UK as well bringing Light the Torch out and having him come on stage and do it because yeah it's much bigger than just five guys it's all of us it's the fans it's it's past and present members it's everybody it's it's Killswitch is the legacy that's important to a lot of people and egos shouldn't play a role in that. And I feel like any band that's had two singers that hasn't done it, it's probably just cause of ego or bad blood or something. And, totally. And I think I'm I'm proud enough to say that the Killswitch camp isn't like that. You didn't take as long as Van Halen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Van Halen. Oh boy.
2: That's a great point. Yeah. It's counterintuitive. It's like, oh, wait we're all fans of the music. So if you guys can get along us as fans, we're here for it, you know, keep both singers on stage.
3: Yeah. I, I don't know if we would do a full like 50, 50, like that, best of both worlds thing, but yeah. I definitely am open to having come up and do a few songs again. Cause it's just, it feels right. It does. And it doesn't kind of like get in the way of the progression of the band. You know, I don't really want it to like step back and be too retrospective yet because totally. it feels like the death of progression. And I don't want to be that band that's, the festival band that plays the 10 popular songs and goes mm-hmm. away. Like yep. when that starts to happen, I'm going to be very sort of like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Yeah. yeah.
0: But yeah, you're right. Like it's, it's 20, 25 plus years of legacy of Killswitch. So it's cool to be able to do that and have, you know, the fans kind of get a little bit of both. I mean, it's obviously the, the group is what it is now, but taking light the torch out and, and seeing Howard for a couple of songs is, that's a pretty badass. extra kind of treat for anybody seeing you guys live.
3: Yeah. And I think Light the Torch deserves it too. They're a great band putting out great music and it's fresh. It's, you know, you can sing along to it. It's still heavy and it's an all-star lineup of great musicians. So, you know, and I'm a fan of those dudes. So it's kind of a no-brainer.
2: So speaking of live music or live records in general, you guys are putting out a live record on uh, June 3rd of this year at a local venue for us and we're from Maine. So Palladium was like our second home, you know, other than the state theater in Portland, Maine, but Portland gets skipped a lot. So we'd go to Wester quite a bit. So um, this record is gonna be put out. It, it was a live streaming event, right? It wasn't even like a full-on concert.
3: Yeah, no, there was there was like eight people in the building. <laughs> yeah, and it was- um,
1: Including you guys or?
3: Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, in addition to, so yeah, about 14, 15 people. Yeah, and we were there for about a week or so just jamming and, you know, coming back together for the first time ever, being in the same room for the first time together since the pandemic and, you know, running through those songs every day and then finally just knocking them out, doing two or three takes with a full crew there. It was nerve wracking, but it was also a lot of fun. And when we were done with it, it was like, wow, we did that. That's crazy. And we didn't have any plans at all on putting it out it just kind of happened, you know, we streamed it, it did well, but we felt like we wanted to get more, more leverage, more, you know, content out of this thing we worked so hard on. So came out pretty good, man. I'm pretty happy with it for a live recording. It's, it's decent. And we didn't do the whole like studio, make sure everything's perfect thing that most live records go through. We didn't do a lot of that stuff. So you're getting what you see is what you get. And I'm proud of that. Nice.
2: And brain chemistry wise, was it like when you're performing, you're you you're looking at an empty crowd. Is it almost like similar or adjacent to like studio time? You're like, you're putting your heart into it, but you're not actually performing to a crowd. You're more like doing it for the recording.
3: It's a bit of recording. And then the, on the physical side of it, it's like shooting a music video, you know, because okay. if, yep. if you shoot a music video, that's usually a full day of doing the damn song. And obviously you're not playing it. You're playing to a track for that but it's that same energy of like we're doing this but we're kind of not doing it. Yeah, right. <laughs> because there's no audience there, but in the back of my mind was like these cameras represent tens of thousands of yep. people potentially. So I was playing a lot to the camera during the the video of that and then you know sonically I think it comes off pretty well because there the live energy if you watch it Adam D's not running around like a total maniac <laughs> because there's no audience So I think the playing was a little more solid because of that, where live tends to get a little out of hand for all of us. At least we notice. Some people don't notice, but we notice. It gets a little sloppy because we're just energetic. But it's live music, man. It shouldn't be perfect.
0: No, right, exactly. That's part of the experience, is that you're going to get... You might get a fuck up, but it's a cool fuck up, and you turn it into something. You never know what it's going to be. Hopefully, if you're good
3: enough to pull it off, yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You guys, Nate said we got... Passed over in Portland a lot. Killswitch didn't pass us over. That's true. It's everybody else that doesn't like to come up to Maine. But uh the Palladium, you picked the Palladium. Is that was that like by choice? Was that the place you guys we got to go there, or was there something else in mind, or is that just always it was always the Palladium?
3: Um, from what I know, I mean, it wasn't always the Palladium. We definitely weighed our options, but it's it feels like a hometown thing for us. We had mm-hmm. our first show there ever, which was kind of a huge factor. Is like we should go back to the place we started at all to do our first show back because it just felt like a new beginning. And then number two, we got two guys, well, three guys, because I live like two and a half, three hours from there, three guys in the band that are pretty much here. So the other two guys just flew in. It just, and our crew, our local crew is pretty much from around this area. It's kind of a no-brainer. And the Palladium was more than happy to accommodate us, you know, the hometown boys. So we got a good rate too. So it just kind of all came together.
1: What was the first show upstairs or downstairs when you guys played?
3: Oh, upstairs. Yeah. 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 It was uh, us, um, shadows fall in flames, dark tranquility. I think maybe 300 something people in that room.
1: Wow. I think Brian fair mentioned that possibly when he was on.
3: I think he did. Yeah. I think you're right. And I do not remember that show at all. <laughs> no, <laughs> just probably a ball of nerves. You know, I do not remember. Yeah, and I remember too because a, a couple months later after that show, Mike D's showing me in flames. I'm like, oh, I never heard this band. This band's amazing. He's like, we just played with them. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know. <laughs> uh,
0: that's great.
3: All right,
1: Jesse, let's take it to present day. Like, what's next for you creatively? So we'll start with uh. Times of Grace. And I actually have a question for you. One of the unique live show experiences that we've had on this podcast is we went to see the artist Beck. You you probably know Beck. Oh yeah, of course. He he opened for himself with an acoustic set. Wow. So my question to you is, would you, as Times of Grace, ever open for Killswitch? Would you put yourself through that vocally?
3: No, not at all. No, not even just vocally, but Aesthetic wise, I just, I, we, Adam and I really love the idea of that being completely something different, which sonically, even we pushed the genre further, because we do want to separate ourselves even more so from that. And when you, eventually, when we do play live again, we really want it to be more of a, an experience, like where we could in the middle of the set have a couple of acoustic songs have carpeting on stage have incense burning have a backdrop with some of the videos playing while we play have it be more like an evening with as opposed to you grab a beer and you're like yeah this is gonna be the show times of grace be more of like an audio visual experience where we can sort of like just push ourselves in a different genre and i, I like that because it's fun we do the same thing all the time and putting Times of Grace before Killswitch, I just feel would be super um mm-hmm. because it is such a different vibe yep. and it's artistic and it just doesn't feel, we even want to look differently on stage, you know, like as mm-hmm. testament to when we did tour, we were sort of like dressing up a little bit. And I think that would continue with, with what we're going to do one day when we do do Times of Grace live again. So mm-hmm. yeah, the further we can get away from Killswitch, I think the better, just keep it completely separate. Yeah.
2: It's a good question. For the fan too. I feel like, you know, you wouldn't be able to give a hundred percent to Kill Switch if you were already on stage. Like Tone we saw Queens of the Stone Age, I don't even know what year it was. And
0: Jeez, 05, 06.
2: 05, 06, yeah. Eagles of Death Metal were originally opening that tour, and Josh is the drummer for that band. And he was, like, puking up blood <laughs> the Jesus. first, like, six dates. And they are like, all right, they're out because Josh needs to be ready for, like, the headlining slot. So they actually canned it. So, like, you'd basically be doing yourself a
3: disservice. Oh, yeah. It's hard enough for me to do the regular freaking set. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm shot after. I'm like, uh Yeah. Cool for the shit. And
0: tomorrow night I'm gonna open for us again. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't make sense.
3: Yeah. Nope.
2: Economically though, might yeah, right. Paid twice. Yeah. I'll see you at the merch booth, and then I'll be on stage
3: after.
0: Yeah. I'm gonna that perform does.
3: at the merch booth. Hey,
0: shit. There you go. Uh, you've got the Stoke the Fire pod. I actually saw you posted something today. You're, you're getting back into that a little bit here, maybe in the near future.
3: Yeah, we are. It's gonna be a diff- slightly different though. You know, we're gonna really focus on as far as what is going out there for free would be sort of bigger names. And then we're gonna do the Patreon thing and do other episodes that are more in-depth, probably longer listener episodes. Uh, And then if all goes well, the idea is to take it on the road and do a video side of it where we would potentially put out a um, like a travel type show where Matt and I would get together and do like a road trip you know, down route 66 through the desert and stop off and say someone like Josh Homie's house and have a fire in his backyard and talk to him about his life. And then go, you know, visit a chef in New Orleans and be at their restaurant and like, make it sort of like an entity Bourdain, no reservations slash parts unknown in nice. addition to the actual podcast. And that's just like me sort of forward thinking and like what we really want to do with this now that hopefully we're getting back to this position where we can be in people's houses and and have live events and stuff so we are kicking it up a notch and going full-on independent we're not going to be in a network uh and it'll be less frequent so with when we are in a network we had to do a show once a week mm-hmm. it'll be maybe once every two weeks and then again focusing on trying to push it more towards a show as opposed to just a podcast
0: gotcha so we'll yeah. see
3: that's the idea
0: yeah, because you did that live event like what, six weeks ago or so in New York. And yeah, so there's, there's some plans to do a little more of that.
3: Yeah, it felt great to be in front of a live audience and to be able to have the feedback immediately where the audience could interact with the person on stage. And we even pulled people from the audience on stage to talk like that whole thing just really takes what we want to do. It's stoked to fire to a whole other level. And that's what it's all about, man, connecting people and... I could fully see that becoming something I could do into my older years, even when like, you know, I, I can't tour anymore, whenever that is. I love traveling and I love food and I love people and I love experiences. So I could see myself in the long run doing that type of thing for a long time.
1: Nice. It's a great podcast. I mean, anyone that listens to us that hasn't checked it out, definitely check it out. Like you and Matt have a good good vibe going on. and And at least for me, I've found that our guests that are, our musical guests that are also podcasters make the best guests and their podcasts are great like benny horowitz of the gaslight anthem is great casey from the wonder years they'll have podcasts and when we get them on it's like we know they're going to be great guests yeah
3: i think my one issue is when i'm guests i tend to talk too much but when i'm a podcaster you're like super hyper conscious of like don't talk too much exactly yeah So I'm being your good guest and just rattling off and blabbering because I Talk, don't
0: get baby. They don't want to hear us. They want to yeah, hear they, you. They didn't come here for us.
3: <laughs> I don't get the opportunity to do that. You know, it's so a lot of the stuff I do is pretty, pretty standard, you know, like media stuff. So when I get on deeper topics, I, I tend to ramble a bit.
0: We, we love it. I mean, that's, that's kind of the best part of this, this, you know, medium is that you can just kind of go off on something and, and tell us about how you change the way you sing. And like, that's not something you're going to get in a 15 minute hit. You know what yeah. I mean? Like,
3: yeah. And I think people are interested in that kind of stuff. Cause I know I am mm-hmm. We to podcast and I hear stuff that I would never hear. I love that. That's to me, it makes it so much more interesting.
2: That's why we started this. We couldn't find it. So we we're like, all right, fuck it. Guess we we'll just do it ourselves. I love it. But actually I want to kind of circle back to uh kill switch. So you guys did the tour or the shows with slipknot last year. And then you guys are doing aftershock. So I'm down here in San Diego. You guys are go- going to uh Sacto Sacramento is that the one of the few shows you guys are doing this year and anything else going on for touring
3: that will be announced very soon and nice. people are going to be pretty stoked we're going out with some killer bands yeah
1: so what you're saying is you will not announce, you're it, not on going this announce podcast? it all right fair enough, fair enough
3: i am unable to announce <laughs> I'm just it. totally yeah. Yeah. no that's cool that we, we get i it. wish i could give you an exclusive but i would get in trouble stopping
0: Except, recording I'm, right now yeah. so you can <laughs>
2: That's right. I'll get up to I'll get up to Sacramento, and I'll just hope that a San Diego date follows, and these guys can check check you out on. I know. Yeah, coast. we'll
0: have to we'll have to fly out. He always comes to Portland, so we got to go out there, right?
3: <laughs> yeah, and it's fun to go, especially to San Diego. That's a fun little area, man. right? Yeah. Yep.
0: Any any new? It's been I mean two plus years now since Atomen. Any new music on the horizon?
3: We have to wait on that too. Uh, so this morning, I did an interview. With Adam D, we were talking about Loverty's Breathing 20 Year. And as soon as the interview finished, Adam D's like, I got to go. I got to meet the guys and go jam. So those four guys are in Massachusetts jamming new stuff. Mm. So it's literally day one. Today is day one of wow. us figuring out what's going on with the new record. So Nice, nice. I'm curious. I have no idea. you you piqued our interest and I wanted to be there, but my parents are coming to stay with me for a week and I have a huge family reunion. So I don't even know. I'm going to get like a Dropbox folder of stuff at the end of the week. So it's kind of fun though. I mean, yeah, I can't wait, dude. And then it's going to be overwhelming, but yeah, we'll see what happens.
0: (laughs) So this is tangent. How do you, you get that say Dropbox? Do you just pick one and, and try to like hone in on that for a little bit? Or do you listen to it all and then get some ideas kind of storyboarding?
3: my my big thing is especially if it's more than one song is to like you know either go for a long car ride or a long bike ride or a hike or sit by the fire and just kind of play it for a while in the moment something strikes in my head i'll hone in on that song and then i'll do vo- voice notes on my phone or just anything the moment inspiration strikes everything stops around me and i must figure it out if it's a melody i'll hum it into my phone so my my phone has like and I still have some of the stuff, like me just humming or, or saying nonsense or talking and tons of that. And then when I'm ready to like tackle the song, I have like post-it notes and bar napkins and sound bites from my phone. And there's the song sometimes, that's just how it works. So I just try to follow inspiration because when it hits, it's so precious. You you gotta like capture that moment when, it, when it's there. If not, you might lose a great song.
1: Mm-hmm. It's interesting how that answer varies like, You hear about artists, like they'll leave a voicemail of like a lyrics or a harmony, or like, I listened to an interview with Scott Bull of terror recently, where he, he lives out of his notes app in, uh, the iPhone of lyrics, like any idea, any phrase that he can break, you know, build around that and you're pointing to
3: yourself. So I assume that's what you do. 100%. Yeah. It's voice notes and notes. Yeah. So it'll be voice notes and then eventually transcribed into notes. And then from notes, I'll paste it into an email or paste it into something and print it out. But it notes is life for sure.
2: (laughs) That's cool. It's just proof that like, you're not tapping into it. That idea is actually tapping into you. You just need to capture it. And like,
3: that's kind of what I was trying to say earlier about writing songs. Like it isn't just about you. It's about what, what is inspiration? Where does that come from? I'll wake up in a sound sleep sometimes. And I'm like, I don't know where that came from, but holy shit, that's awesome. Yep.
0: Yeah. Write it down or or talk into your phone and just make sure it doesn't go away.
3: Yeah. Seriously. I did that today with a melody because I'm, I'm like trying to piece together solo material for a completely different vibe. And I've got about four ideas, but today I I sang an entire song into my phone off the top of my head, melody wise. And now I got to figure out how to play it like that. (laughs) I I don't know where it came from either. And I'm like, whoa, what the fuck? I just, I just did it. And it's, First chorus bridge like it's there in my wow. phone it wow. probably sounds horrible because i'm humming first thing in the morning but like i don't know it just came out of me where did that come from i have no idea yeah
0: but yeah exactly you don't want to lose it so you want to you put it in to listen to it and then clean it up where you can yeah yep
3: that's it gotta get it out man mm-hmm. or you're gonna lose it
2: I feel like that meditation just is paying dividends. It's like you shut out the noise and you're like, you're able to focus in on the things that are t- tapping into you. Like, oh, nice. I get these ideas on paper because I don't have I'm not distracted by all this bullshit, you know.
3: I'm. It's a very interesting point. You just said that because that was one of the huge things I had to learn during the pandemic was getting off of social media and yeah. stop scrolling and stop fear mongering yourself. And I lost all creativity during a chunk of time when it was just me focusing on like, what's the world doing? And the moment I like leaned off of social media and my brain started to fire back on. I started reading books again. And like, before I knew it, I'm writing full two page poems. I think we gotta be really careful with how much we engage um, with media and social media because it kills you. It kills your creativity, kills your spirit and it makes you a lot more uh, your attention span shorter like you just, you don't mm-hmm. have the wherewithal to sit and do a project you're constantly like oh let me just and you're like what am i doing why am i on my phone again shit yeah right yep
2: that's such a good point i mean literally like a, today i was sitting on my patio like and a and a hummingbird came and, and came to the flowers i'm like i would have never seen that if i didn't jump off social media and i still use it for the podcast but for my personal i barely touch it and now I notice those things like there's so much beauty around me all the time, but I was looking down at my phone for like six years straight. So
3: it's hard not to, man. Yeah. You got to break yeah. the cycle yeah. and uh, there are times when I'll, I'll literally just put airplane mode on and just use it as a camera. And like, I will not go on all day yeah. I'll go out for like a hike. And I'm like, I let everybody know who cares or who might get anxiety over me. Not saying I'm okay. I'll like text everybody like mom, you know, my girl or whoever, this is what I'm doing screenshot of the trail. I'm going to be off for like a certain amount of time. And I'm like, off. Nice. That is like huge, huge. Like yeah. when you do it alone without anyone around, just silence. Yeah. You catch up to yourself. And before you know it, you've got energy, you've got creativity, you're sleeping better. Like it's so good for you.
0: It's it's so true, man. I, I there's a, there's a spot in the woods about a mile down from where I live that I will go and hit for like 20, 25 minutes before work. I'll walk down there, I'll stand in there for 10, 15 minutes, and then I'll walk back, I'm gone for like an hour, but it makes me feel so much better about the rest of my day.
3: Yeah, that's a form of meditation right there, and there's actually a science behind that. Uh, The Japanese have a name for it too, where you go stand in nature and just allow nature to fill you or soothe you or calm you, and what the trees and plants are actually giving off, and even the fungi, like mushrooms, uh, which run all underneath our feet, that we have no idea about. They're all releasing things that we need as humans. And when we're around machines and magnets and buildings and cars, we're being depleted of that energy. And we have to nature naturing or bathing in nature. I don't know what the term is so crucial to do. I have to do it at least once or twice a week, or I will lose my mind, but yeah, back that, keep doing that. So
1: Jesse, if you're up for it, we, uh, To close us out for our guests, we have a quick lightning round. Just quick hitter questions.
3: All right, like game show style. Let's do it. I'll
1: start us off. All right, so if the following, and this is for the old Boston heads, this is knowing our audience here. You, Jesse, being from the Northeast here. If the following five bands were playing 10 Miles From You, Reunion, who would you go see? Sam Black Church, Tree, Only Living Witness, overcast and close call
3: only living witness
1: and i think they did right they played those shows with- and i was
3: on tour and i missed it yes yeah
2: nice i got one too actually now i'm just thinking this on the spot because you said san diego it's a rad place and it is i fucking love it here but there's one thing that always kills me it, literally it's the most aggravating thing of all time we talk about it all the time on here at least off air is the work ethic here is pathetic. (laughs) (laughs) People don't show up. Emails are six days late. It's aggravating. Nothing gets done. We're all from New England. So I feel like the success you guys have had as a band, and I may be answering this question for you. Do you think that's an attribute to the New England work ethic is your success is based on the fact that you're located in a place where people just work hard and are relentless whereas and obviously there's success in southern california i mean guns and roses are from la but there's something to be said there i guess there's no fucking trivia question here
3: <laughs> no 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 i i completely agree with you and you yeah. know san diego i've never been uh, hollered at for money and like hit just hippies all over the beach and ocean beach like it yeah. was overwhelming the first time i went there to visit adam I was like whoa wow yeah. like <laughs> What are you people doing all day? Like, and that, what I just said is very New England. What are you people doing all day? Like, that is blue collar to the core. And I think that that drives all of us, but especially me, I'd say, because, you know, when I quit Kill Switch, what did I do? I worked three jobs. I went yeah. back to work. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that was kind of a comfort zone because that's what I've done my whole life. I've been working as much as I can since I was 14, you know, like it's huge in New England culture. There's this sort of like, survival instinct that we have because it's such a harsh area of the country where like you you can't like year-round be homeless here and be comfortable where in san diego it's not so bad you could probably figure it out you know yeah i think it has a lot to do with location and upbringing and culture and all of us came from blue-collar families you know and i especially came from a lower income family where you had to work every single thing you got and if you don't work someone else is going to take it from you you know, that's why I eat fast. I had to like really relearn to not eat fast because I'm so used to like when my family gets together, you're like, ah, yeah, survival mode. And like, all right, what do we do next? Got to go to work. Let's go. That's yeah, a huge part of uh, who I am for sure. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. and I, And I think the question really is, I think the scene that you guys helped spearhead is specific to that region for that reason alone, because it's a product of the environment. Like, it's just not conducive to Southern California. I mean, it literally is so easy down here. Like weather's amazing every day. Um, like you said, you could be homeless and living on the coast. Like it's just a different vibe altogether. Whereas New England, I mean, same as you, I worked three jobs. I, you know, sorted fish species on the docks of Portland, Maine, like fucking hardcore, you know? Oh yeah. (laughs) So it's just not something you can relate with. And the music definitely reflects that. So
3: Yeah, you can hear it in your, you know, you guys have really good reggae and and interesting hip hop and artistic music from from that area. Yeah, it's a different vibe for sure. It's it's valid and it's artistic and it's amazing, but it's completely different from New England. That's a Mm -hmm. whole other beast. And honestly, I love it. I love the Northeast. I travel the world and the moment I hear somebody with like a slightly Maine, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Rhode Island accent, I'm like... Where's that guy from? Oh, I'm going to talk to that guy. Dude, and then, you and you then you're in the bar busting balls, laughing harder than you've laughed in a long time because we're dark, weird motherfuckers. Yeah, um, we are. I love it. That's my sense of humor. Like, I remember when Family Guy first came on and people were like appalled by it. Right. And I'm sitting there like, this is it. This is, <laughs> it. This is <laughs> yeah. totally who we are. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I love that. I love to laugh and I love that vibe. It's, yeah, northeast to the core. I will always love the Northeastern United States always. Mm
0: -hmm. So we were talking a little bit pre you're doing a little DJing on the side right now, right?
3: Yeah. I've been DJing for a long time, but yeah, I've been doing a lot of it lately.
0: Yeah. Lately you've been doing it as you're kind of in between things and uh, you you were telling us it's a little different because it's, it's some burlesque, right? So people aren't there to look at you, which is not your day job. Your day job is, or your night job, I guess, is people there to look at you. But in
3: this situation, they're not right. Yeah. It's, it's kind of fun actually to be the guy who like helps load the equipment in, you know, cause I, I help set up the poles and the aerial rigs and whatever heavy stuff we have to bring in. Um, and then in between, you know, sets, I'm, I'm the guy helping to, with changeover cause it's DIY. It's me and my friends, my friend has a pro- production company called strange house and, uh, it's, you know, it's burlesque performers, it's music, but it's, it's kind of goth and cold wave and very sort of like, I'm not associated with that scene. So I can dip in those circles and most people don't know who I am. And I'm just there. I'm just the DJ and I kind of love it. It's fun. Yeah, and I get to cool. do something different. And uh, yeah, it's fun working with people who are like are attractive women or creative women, all eyes on them. So <laughs> when I'm DJing, I'm the guy in the background just kind of setting the, the vibe. And I get to sit and watch the whole thing especially if we're at a nicer place, which we were the other night where the DJ booth was like up five feet looking over the whole room. It's fun, man. And I can just kind of hide in the shadows and, and play music. But it's different. You know, if I do a metal night, I'm front and center and I'm engaging and I'm jumping off stage and going crazy because I've had those nights too. But particularly with the styles of music I've been doing lately, which is keep the crowd dancing to like Depeche Mode and The Cure and like nice. stuff like that. It's fun. And it's just so different for me. But I, I love music, period. And I love to DJ and I love to share music and then have people enjoy it or come up to me and go, what is that you just played? And get excited. I love that shit.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You can step outside of Jesse from Killswitch.
3: Yeah. And be like, the they call me DJ Proto Killer. I started using that word. <laughs> I'm old school. So Proto and I'm killing it. So Proto Killer. Nice. Because, you know, I'm usually the oldest DJ. If I do these types of parties, we did this like like a kink bondage party. And I'm like the oldest dude there. And it's like, I don't look it, but I am. I know I am. And i like, my reference for that kind of music industrial, like I'm into ministry. I'm into Nine Inch Nails yep. where the younger crowds talking about the scene now. And I'm like, I'm starting to discover new music by doing these types of things. So it's actually expanded my music taste because I'm DJing. In something that's not in my comfort zone, so I'm I'm loving it, man. That's cool.
0: It's it's fun to like have a a shot in the arm where you get something new that you maybe didn't know about or hadn't hadn't heard of before, and, and you find this new avenue to have that happen. That's that's badass.
3: Yeah, and then it's pretty funny when someone does recognize me, like the other night, and they're like, "What are you doing here?" <laughs> <laughs> like oh, I'm DJing. I'm just grabbing a beer. <laughs>
2: Well, so it's not just you though, right? Because Corey, Corey Taylor, your touring mate, in Slipknot, his wife, Alicia, right? She does cherry bombs. That's like- Yeah, a-
3: very much the same. Yeah. So that's yeah. pretty much the vibe that I'm doing, like a a mini cherry bombs of the, the girls I'm working for who are doing, you know, uh, there's a little bit of freak show stuff. There's a girl who does like clothes pins all over her body, like a girl who does the the buzzsaw with the metal and then, you know, aerial arts. But I've, I love that stuff. It's cool. Like circusy type stuff, you know? Yeah it's erotic it's it's sensual but it's about talent it's about more like a circusy vibe than it is like a strip club vibe you know and i appreciate the talent of those girls and my fiance is a, a pole dancer and she's a badass beast and she kills it and I, I can't do half the shit she does and i see a lot of these performers and to me i'm just there to back them up and support them and give them the music that they asked me to play for them and stand back and watch it happen and it's really impressive and cool that's cool and you yeah. see the audience going like watching the tricks that they're doing going whoa mm-hmm. yeah. and i also think it's very empowering for other women to see other women do something that's sexy and powerful but isn't degrading you know that's, that's huge
0: all right jesse thank you we really appreciate talking with you tonight uh, total blast on our end and uh, uh i look forward to what you got what you got coming up here soon
3: Thank you guys. I appreciate it. And thank you to everybody who gives a damn. It's because of you guys that I keep, keep doing this thing. So it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Many blessings and uh everybody out there listening, be kind to each other. It doesn't take much. Just please embrace not being a dick. I think is a good way to go. And uh yeah, again, gratitude for you guys for having me on. Thank you.
1: Awesome. awesome. Thank you so much. Peace.